1: I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program. So I want to thank my guests. We're in, the, we're in the last hour. We've got open phone lines if you want to give us a call. 508-996-0500. Also taking messages on the WBS app chat. Interestingly, interestingly enough, when I had Sheriff-Elect hero on uh, yesterday, you know, when I had him on during the campaign, when I had Hodgson on during the campaign, the phone lines were so... The phone lines went nonstop, uh, and I had to, I couldn't pay attention to the app chat. But I found that when we had Sheriff Hero on, the, we had a ton of app chat messages asking Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Electro a question. So that's the medium that people preferred to communicate. And that's fine too. Um, so we're looking at, I'm looking at the app chat now, uh, and uh, you know, we had not the other Dan had say something very nice about, uh, the show and said, you know, uh, that, uh, he's heard it's from the locals that it's doing great. And I really appreciate that. Uh, Dan, uh, not bad in Oak Bluffs said, Tim, the South coast tonight app chat label hasn't listed. So, um, you know, I'm seeing it in general message. Uh, I guess that's something if Tim's listening can figure out, if not, he'll see it tomorrow when he's on the Tim Weisberg show every, every morning, nine to nine to noon, but, um, I guess, uh, what, um, I will, I just want to thank, uh, Donna Buckley. First of all, Barnesville County Sheriff, uh, elect. She won the seat in that previously held by a Republican in Barnesville County. It was vacated, but she, she won the open election along with the DA over there, Rob Gallaboys who I had on as well. um, And I want to thank Leon Corey, a really interesting conversation, uh, you know, talking about his campaign, his experiences as, uh, campaigning as a black man in a, in a, in a small town in small town politics and his, you know, what it means to him. Uh, and it was, it's really cool. The, the the podcast is up or it should be up soon. I I just, I just, I just hit upload. Uh, so it should be up soon if you want to check it out. Uh, if you miss something, if you want to go back, if you want to listen to older episodes, the podcast is there. I guess, and, um, you know, we'll take your calls and app chat messages for the remainder of the hour. The one thing I did want to talk about, I'd, I'd gotten this notification, like, pretty much just before I went on the air. And I wanted to talk about it, but, you know, we, we uh, and, I, and I thought this was the, the, the a good hour, you know, it was a free hour that we could talk about it. It is the Senate um, passed a, uh, a, a bill that essentially recognizes uh, same-sex marriage. So it's, um, uh, it is called the Respect for Marriage Act, and it's basically it's supposed to be there as a backstop essentially to um, recognize same sex same sex marriage and interracial marriage as a, um, as a, uh, you know, legally protected, basically, because of fear that the Supreme Court may overturn some of that marriage precedent. Um, the reason, there are 12 Republicans that voted for it. So it was sixty-one thirty-six, I think, total. 12 Republicans voted for it. Of course, Senate bills because of the filibuster and all that stupid stuff. Basically, when it's not a bill that has to do with the budget that can be passed during reconciliation. And reconciliation is decided by the Senate parliamentarian and... I can get into that. I could get into a whole thing about the Senate parliamentarian. But basically, if a bill is recognized as having something to do with or having a substantial uh, um, uh, amount of, to do with the budget, such as ARPA, for example, um, it only requires 51 votes. And so a lot of that had to do with, you know, Kamala Harris needing to be the tie breaking vote and all of that. Um, but basically, so it needed those 12 Republicans that got it. And basically, it's recognizing same-sex and interracial marriage uh, as protected under the under federal law, which I think is important. Because what a lot of people, uh, the Dobbs decision that overturned Roe v. Wade, essentially, Clarence Thomas, there was a 2015 Supreme Court decision, if you'll remember, that recognized same-sex marriage as protected. It was a 5-4 decision. Um, basically, uh, it's a substantive due process this, uh, decision. And uh, it was... It was the deciding vote was Anthony Kennedy, who had decided two years earlier in 2013 to strike the provision in DOMA, the Federal Defense of Marriage Act in the, the mid 90s that was uh, passed by the Newt Gingrich Congress, but signed by President Clinton that had said marriage is between a man and a woman. So um, so basically uh, they struck that down. And then Scalia, uh, Anthony Antonin, Antonin Scalia, you know, famous conservative jurist, uh, Reagan appointee had died in 2016, had basically said, well, this can be a roadmap. This can be a roadmap to legalizing same sex marriage and recognizing it as the law of the land. And this is how based on this logic. And so it was then cited basically by a lot of first of all, a lot of federal lower federal courts that lower state courts. That had made uh, that it overturned anti-gay marriage laws and had cited Scalia's uh, reasoning, um, ironically, right? Uh, but uh, then in 2015 it was be- it became legal again. I think it was a 5-4 decision. Roberts' dissent. Roberts was was a dissenter in that, but it was in a way that he was like more sympathetic to the movement and recognizing the rights, but said, "Well, well." you know i don't agree with the precedent of how this is done i don't agree with the court doing this which i think is a load of bs um but i think if they needed that fifth vote i get the feeling that roberts would have moved over into that column and voted to uh up up to recognize same-sex marriage i think he had some cover with kennedy uh, anthony kennedy there anthony kennedy famously uh, was seen as sort of a more purple jurist, uh, someone that will vote with conservatives and uh, liberals sometimes. But I think a lot of that's misguided. I think he'd, you know, on social issues, he's more likely to be liberal on on most, mostly everything else. He, he was a solid Republican vote, but he retired. So when the Dobbs decision came down, the overturning Roe v. Wade, uh, Clarence Thomas had said, basically based on substantive due process, which was the... Um jurisprudence, the the court standard that recognized a lot of fundamental rights with respect to discrimination, you know, the rights of people of color, the rights of LGBTQ um, people in the community, uh, um, the rights of, of women, gender equality issues. When they basically upended that in this row in this Roe v. Wade overturning, Clarence Thomas invited he invited it that the Supreme Court does this sometimes they will signal to people in the Federalist Society or lower court, lower courts or lower court uh, or, you know, basically conservative attorneys or conservative activist um, legal organizations to challenge these decisions. And one of them he listed was and I believe it's the Obergefell decision in 2015. That made gay marriage the law of the land. He basically signaled, hey, we can overturn this and we will if you bring it to us. That's what he was doing. He was inviting them to do that. He said the court should revisit it if it um, if it comes up before them. And if you don't know the, the, the process and basically if you petition something to go through the Supreme Court, it's a petition for cert. Right. Um, uh, writ of certiorari. I never got the pronunciation of that right, even when I was in law school, the writ of certiorari, basically. And you only need four votes to grant the petition to cert. So not a majority, right? Just four votes for the nine justices need to vote affirmatively to hear the case. And, you know, usually, you know, if they hear the case, a case like that, a case like those, if they're voting to hear it, They have ideas of how they're going to rule. They're not like, oh, let's, you know, "Mm, I want to think about this a bit. They know what they think about this stuff, the Supreme Court. They've thought about it for a long time. You might be able to convince them on some more arcane type of laws. You might be able to convince them one way or the other. But with stuff like social issues, like marriage equality, like the Constitution, all of that. They have a pretty good idea of what they think about it and how they're going to rule, but they have the arguments. Clarence Thomas actually famously doesn't speak in. He doesn't speak. He has he's spoken once or twice in the last like 20 something years Uh, doesn't ask ask questions during oral arguments. And people think, oh, my God, what a you know, what a tragedy. But in a lot of cases, I, I don't necessarily, you know. Those questions don't matter. Those questions are basically to get on the record what they think about this decision and where they and basically signal how they may how they may rule. You know the oral argument part of the Supreme Court uh, decision making. So if they're asking you, if a justice is asking a question, you know, I can't read their mind. I can't tell you why, but it it seems to you know it seems to me if they're asking questions that seem critical or maybe even supportive, right? It's a signal of how they're going to go, and it's basically getting on the record what they think. Getting on the record what they think and how they're going to rule and the reasonings behind it. They're already getting that on the record ahead of the time before they're going to rule. So there's concern, obviously, Um, that substantive due process is basically going to be, um, as it stands, it's already been basically null and void. Now, this brings up a lot of uh, this, you know, civil rights cases, the Warren Court decisions, Brown v. Board of Education, uh, for example, Loving v. Virginia, which is a 1967 Supreme Court ruling that made that said you can't discriminate um, on interracial marriages, right? It brings a lot of that into the question. Now, Sam Alito had said, "Oh no, we like those, right? W- w- those are different, right?" But it wasn't really. You know, the the thing is that the thing that the conservative justices really have to reconcile, honestly, is that their core movement, the Federalist Society movement and the movement for originalism, textualism, all of that was a reaction to the civil rights movement. It was a reaction not to the not even to against the civil rights movement. And so they have to square that circle on decisions like the Dobbs decision and say, well, those are different and they don't really, based on their logic, present a compelling reason why. So it's concerning. Right. And then you have the Colorado shooting at the at the at the nightclub, the LGBTQ nightclub. There's another one in Orlando. I remember, you know, we had uh, over here in New Bedford, we had um, Jake Robida, right, who, who had went into the uh, puzzles uh, nightclub, the, 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 the gay bar in the North End. And had not killed anybody there. It eventually killed, uh, uh, I think, an Arkansas state trooper, um, you know, in his flight away from that incident. But I went in there with a pistol and a hatchet and started hurting people. So there's a lot of concern around that. A lot of concern around the protections that have been in place based on, you know, I think a pretty, I I would say accelerated, um, uh, uh, accelerated movement for marriage equality right they had at breakneck speed all of a sudden quicker than a lot of a lot of other um a lot of other protected groups had secured a, a great deal of rights you know there was that six to three decision um or gorsuch i think wrote the ma- a majority that said um that they were protected uh, that gays were protected in the civil rights act um against you know s- certain employment discriminations So they wanted to codify this into law. They wanted to make sure that gay marriage was a law that was passed, that was the law of the land, and that there would be basically a backstop if they wanted to overturn the Supreme Court, if they want to overturn the Supreme Court precedent that recognized um, marriage equality as the law of the land. They want to have that written so that they have that to fall back on. Now, the Supreme Court could, theoretically, because they can do whatever they want, It's one of the unfortunate, it's one of the like kind of unfortunate um, uh, features of the Supreme Court that they're more or less seen as a uh, de facto legislature. And that's an opinion that's held by conservatives and liberals based on however the Supreme Court rules. Donald Trump said it, you know, these are activist judges when they ruled against some of his immigration policies. Right. Like the Muslim ban and stuff like that. Um, I think they eventually upheld the Muslim ban, but they first didn't. Uh, the Some of his immigration policies, he said it. Joe Biden said it when they overturned Dobbs and other Supreme Court decisions that were unfavorable. And they're both correct, honestly, on that. Um, the Supreme Court, unfortunately, in a lot of situations, has kind of been a de facto legislature. They have, you know... There's a reason why these, you know, these these appointments have become political It's because they are. I mean, John Roberts famously said, we don't um, you know, we just call balls and strikes. That was what he said in his hearing uh, when he was uh, nominated by President Bush. He was nominated by President Bush to become the chief justice of the Supreme Court and That was after uh, Rehnquist had died. Rehnquist had died in 2005 and Alito was already, I think, Alito might have already been, no, Roberts was nominated, then Alito was nominated after Rehnquist died. I believe Roberts was to fill Sandra Day O'Connor's seat and Sandra Day O'Connor was the first woman Supreme Court justice who was nominated by Reagan. It was one of the promises Reagan made on his, during his campaign trail that he was going to nominate the first woman Supreme Court justice. It took till 1980, right? It took a 100, 200 years, but that was one of his um first. That was one of his main campaign promises. And when there was an opening in the early eighties, Sandra Day O'Connor was nominated. That was filled by Samuel Alito, and then John Roberts was filled. Uh, was was put there to fill um the uh the chief justice uh, seat that had been vacated by Rehnquist. I believe Rehnquist was a it was a Ford or Nixon appointee. I think he was a Ford or Nixon appointee. He was like assistant solicitor. He was like the assistant solicitor general or something like that. His question is of whether or not he was qualified for the seat, but he got nominated. Then he moved to Supreme Court justice. Uh, then he moved to the chief, He was nominated for chief justice after, afterwards. So anyway, Robert said, we famously call balls and strikes. Nobody really believes that. Um, I think Robert's in a lot of, like I said, in a lot of cases, will is conscious of the fact that it is seen as the Roberts court, right? There's the war in court. Right. And the rank was court. And now it's the Roberts court. So a lot of that stuff is is part it's it's part of his legacy. It has his name on it. So, you know, it's one of the reasons I think he it's one of the reasons a lot of people say that he voted in affirmative to uphold Obamacare five to four. Right. He did that because he was conscious of it being his court and overturning that law. Right. After a you know a very popularly elected president and an overwhelming majority Democratic Congress had voted for it, and knowing that people really want health care and how bad health care is, he he knew that it would reflect poorly on his legacy as the chief justice of the Supreme Court if he had overturned uh, if he had overturned it. So there's reason to believe that Roberts would be a sympathetic vote for marriage equality now, but that still leaves and maybe Gorsuch. But that still leaves, the, you still have Amy Coney Barrett. You still have Brett Kavanaugh, who is ruled consistently against um, has ruled consistently against uh, LGBTQ cases. You still have um, uh, Clarence Thomas, who's, you know, basically said, come, come bring this before us. We're going to we're going to overturn it. And you still have Samuel Alito. Um, so who wrote the Dobbs decision? <laughs> who wrote who is the who was the key author in the. In the in the in the um, in the Dobbs decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. So the Senate decided, you know, they've got a lame duck session. The Republicans are going to have the gavel no matter how thin or large the majority is. They're not going to get this passed, basically, when Kevin McCarthy has that gavel because it won't even hit the House floor, probably. So they want to get this to President Biden's uh, desk in the lame duck session. Lame duck session for people who might not know is basically the session in between elections and inaugurations. So this is a lame duck session for this Congress because the elections already happened. There's going to be a new Congress getting sworn in on January 3rd. And they, uh, you know, what they're trying to do. And a lot of people do this in a lame duck session is try to get laws passed, basically, um, that wouldn't be passed in the next session based on the change of presidents based are the change of the executive branch based on the change of the legislative branch. One of the reasonings they give, uh, the, the, um, one of the reasonings that the, uh, one of the reasonings that the, the state legislature here in Beacon Hill in Massachusetts gives for having these like long breaks in the informal sessions and all of that during an election year during like every two years or so is because of the concern of, of lame duck sessions and you know, basically because you had in like Wisconsin based when Tony Evers uh, took over, I think he beat Scott Walker, the Wisconsin legislature and the governor had essentially, uh, um, had solidified these, you know, hyper uh, hyper gerrymandered districts, and had tied Tony Evers' hands and all of that, and so that's kind of a little bit off topic, but they're trying to get this passed in the lame duck session before Kevin McCarthy takes the uh, takes the speakership. I think it's important to do. I think it's a good thing to do too to show that they, you know, are actually going to do something about some of these issues that they campaign on all the time. Um, but we're going to take your calls at 508-996-0500. 508-996-0500. Good evening.
0: Hi, Marcus. I've got a
1: question for you. Sure. This marriage act. Yeah. I thought um, interracial marriages was like legal a long time ago. So it is. I it, mean, I get the gay marriage, is, like re, like maybe like two thousands, but I thought the interracial marriage thing was approved of like a long time ago. So what happened was in 1967, uh, interracial. Uh, there were laws in the there were laws in the books, obviously, against interracial marriage for the first. Yeah, yeah. In 1967, the Supreme Court said those laws are illegal. Those laws are violate violate the Constitution, and the precedent that they used was called substantive due process. But the problem is they essentially changed the entire they they changed substantive due process when they overturned Roe v. Wade. So they said the legal precedent that they used for Roe v. Wade, uh, based on that, they could overturn Loving v. Virginia. They wouldn't necessarily, but they want to protect it just in case because they're saying there's no safeguard now. There's no there's no it was based on Supreme Court precedent. And the Supreme Court had basically overturned that precedent or could overturn that precedent. So they want to protect it. Now, do I think this Supreme Court, as it's currently constructed, would overturn an interracial marriage? No. But the thing is, is that they could and they might at some point in the future. And they want to have a law on the books that protects it. Oh, okay, I see now. I was like, "Why are they bringing interracial marriage into with the gay marriage?" I, well, I just the, other, the other reason that was the, been legal for a while now. I didn't realize it the, wasn't Laura's more. Yeah, okay, the other the other reason talking about the more political. The, yeah, the more political reason is uh, they could be putting that along with the gay marriage. Uh, I mean, I think they're both they're both based on the same Supreme Court precedent that is now a lot weaker weaker now. But they could also be adding that too to say. To make people basically vote on the record against, you know, people want to vote against it. You're voting against interracial marriage too. You know, they could, they could oh, be doing that as well. Oh, okay. Now I get. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's. that's I didn't <laughs> get why they were like together. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Interracial marriage has been around; it's kind of accepted. Yeah, but that's no one way- really. At least law wise, it's kind of accepted. Oh, sure. that might be. Yeah, it's still an uphill battle for people. You know what I mean. Yeah, I think that could in be it, too. In some cases, you know what I mean? I, I agree. Yeah. Oh, well, okay, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Oh. All right, so what I'll do is I'm going to take a break. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the 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 bill that just passed the Senate that's going on to the House, um, and uh, we'll take your calls, too, and your app chat messages, 508-996-0500. That's how you can get in the program. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. Marcus 5089960500 is how you can get in the program or we'll also take your messages on WBSN on the WBSM app chat um, which you can access if you have the WBSM app which you should download if you haven't yet So um, so we were talking about the bill that the Senate just passed it was a 6136 of vote there were 12 Republican senators that had voted uh, for it. And it basically, the bill is, it's, it's pretty narrow in its, in its scope, right? So what it does is, and, and I, this, I suppose this is probably what they needed to get the 10 or so Republican senators that they needed um, in order to make this, you know, to make this like passable is it says, it says, sorry, it says that The federal government has to recognize marriages in states where marriages have been, you know, if a marriage has been recognized by a state as legal, particularly in gay marriage or interracial marriage, then the federal government has to recognize it as well. This, because of its narrow tailoring, does not actually, it doesn't prevent which is unfortunate, it doesn't prevent, if the Supreme Court were to overturn the 2015 gay marriage uh, uh, case, doesn't prevent other states that may have anti-gay marriage laws in the books from blocking gay marriages or, I guess, even making them void or voidable. Now, the 12, so that, 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 that passed, again, 61-36, 12 Republican senators voted for it, Um, And it's going back to the House for a final vote. It last passed in the House by a majority of like 50 votes, um, a 50 vote uh, margin. So it's going to pass the House, too. And then it'll get to President Biden's desk for him to sign it and make it law. It's not as probably sweeping as it should be. And and for people who don't know the history, again, I talked about the 2015 case. Massachusetts was actually the first state to recognize gay marriage in the Good, uh, I think it's, uh, Goodrich decision. I think it's Commonwealth v. Goodrich in 2003. That was in 2003, and then 10 years later, you have the DOMA case that that basically. Uh, uh, You know, um, nullified the federal, uh, you know, the federal statute um, that recognized marriages between a man and a woman. And then that they gave a full uh, gay marriage, full legalization, basically full faith and credit everywhere else. Um, I don't know what's going to happen if the Supreme Court overturns it, because. You're going to have states where they're going to not recognize marriages if people want to move. Like you say you get married in. Massachusetts and you're a same sex couple. And then you go to Texas, um, and you go to Texas. uh, You have to. I'm just emailing somebody on a work-related matter. You, you, they could, they could, um, they could, uh, they could, basically. Say, no, your marriage is invalid. not give you a marriage license, and then that'll jam you up, right? That'll definitely jam you up uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Tax things and, you know, uh, just recognizing certain, uh, I think, fundamental rights, parental rights, all of that. Um, he, I'm just uh, sending an email. If you'll entertain me for a second, I'm just sending a work-related email. While I'm on the air, should I be doing this? Probably not. But uh, sometimes you have to walk and chew gum at the same time. And that's what I'm doing now. So anyway, 508-996-0500. Tell you what, I'll take a break, and we'll be right back. We'll continue this conversation.
0: Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Real-time reaction to everything that happens after the sun goes down. South Coast Tonight with Marcus and Chris is on WBSM.
1: welcome back to south coast tonight i'm marcus 508-996-0500 is how you can get the program we'll also take messages on the wbsm app chat so we were talking about the sorry i had to send an email out but we're so so we were talking about the law that um made the law that is was passed by the senate that recognizes same-sex marriage uh federally in states that have already that have recognized same-sex marriage it's narrowly tailored, I think, because they needed those 12 Republican votes in order to get the majority that they needed, because essentially every vote in the, the Senate needs 60 votes because of the filibuster. Um, and it will it also recognizes interracial marriage as well. And the reasoning is behind that is that the Supreme Court has essentially um, invited uh has upended substantive due process which is basically a legal precedent uh that a lot of fundamental civil rights laws or rulings were founded on which like brown v board of education and loving v virginia which is the 1967 supreme court um the 1967 supreme court uh, decision and a lot of laws surrounding voting rights and all of that. sensitive due process is basically uh, keeps the government from interfering with fundamental rights, even if they aren't specifically enumerated in federal law or in federal constitution. It allows the courts to recognize certain uh, certain rights and do that. So it's difficult. Again, I, I've I've said this before. The Supreme Court, in their decisions, have said, "Well, you know, we're not going to touch Brown v. Board of Education, law Virginia, because we like those decisions." But you can't necessarily take their word for it. The Supreme, uh, and they've, and Clarence Thomas is invited, essentially, in his decision, to, uh, for uh, judges and lawyers to seek to overturn the uh, 2015 uh, Supreme Court law that overturns uh, that that made uh, that made gay marriage the law of the land. So, the 12 Republican senators, um, I think you can probably guess a few of them. Mitt Romney was one of them, uh, former governor of Massachusetts. Uh, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, they're kind of like the, sort of the, to the extent that there is a moderate block, right? They, they are the moderate block. like I said, to the extent that one actually exists in, in, in the Republican Party. But uh, that that isn't a surprise to me. Rob Portman is another one that's not a surprise to me. He's a senator from Ohio, the outgoing senator of Ohio. JD Vance is a uh, JD Vance will um, succeed him. The Republican uh, author um, who wrote "Hillbilly Elegy" will will succeed Rob Portman. But Rob Portman was always against gay marriage until he discovered his son was gay, and so. Um, he quickly came around, which, okay, I guess we'll take it. Uh, maybe you should have empathy for people, whether or not they're directly related to you, but whatever. Fine. <laughs> Thanks for your vote. Roy Blunt in Missouri. Uh, Cynthia Loomis in Wyoming. Shelly Moore Caputo in West Virginia. Dan Sullivan in Alaska. Dan Sullivan might be another one. It's It's kind of like... Maybe seeing for some reason, you know, Lisa Murkowski has always been a more moderate vote, and I think maybe it's because they they might see a trend line in Alaska, right? Uh, because of Mary Pallada and her, you know, winning the at large seat uh, for Congress, the Democrat beating Sarah Palin, they maybe they might see a trend line in in Alaska that might be pointing to more moderate political positions. Or maybe they just think it's the right thing to do, but I I just never assume that with senators. Uh, Joni Ernst in Iowa. Joni Ernst, I'm kind of surprised because Joni Ernst was the one that, uh, I don't know, she's pretty conservative. She's the one that opened her campaign with her first campaign ad ad being about how she castrated hogs on a farm and that she would go to Washington to continue her profession of castrating hogs. (laughs) That was 2014. Feels like forever ago, but 12 senators voted in the affirmative. I think they've got 50. They've got 50. Um, 50 Republican votes. 47 Republican votes in the House. So it looks like it's going to make its way uh, to the House to the House floor. It's going to be. The law of the land. Now, if the Supreme Court overturns the decision, you're going to see kind of a return to what we've always seen, which was what we saw before um, the the Supreme Court cases from 2013 to 2015, which is some states recognizing gay marriage and others not and having legal authority to do so. I mean, 2013, what they at least did was give gay marriage cases sort of full faith and credit um by by saying if you for the federal government by saying if you are legally married in this state then the federal government will recognize your marriage in another state that doesn't necessarily mean that the state is going to recognize your marriage and so you might see a lot of those situations remember that remember that County clerk in Kentucky that went to prison because she wouldn't do her job and, you know, give out, she would, she'd basically denied gay marriage licenses. So they sent her to prison for basically not doing her job um, for a few days. And then she, you know, had a, they had a big rally with Ted Cruz and a bunch of other people. And it was a whole big thing. Um, but I think if the Supreme court does overturn that and they're inviting people to do so, that's important to remember the, the one of the justices Seems to believe that if they get that decision, they're going to vote the other way. That's why this act was necessary, at least in some respects, uh, for these states. Um, then we're probably going to see, you know, all of like the states like in New England, all, all 12 New England senators, obviously, including the one Republican, uh, Susan Collins, voted in favor of it. So you're going to see states in New England, New York, you know, Northeast, even the Pacific uh, along the Pacific coast. You're going to see them, you know, recognize, recognize marriage equality, but in the Bible belt, you probably won't, right? You probably won't in Alabama, Arkansas, et cetera, Louisiana, et cetera. It's, I think, a weird waste of political capital to do it, to to do this. I mean, frankly, I mean, the trend line is pointing towards... People being more acceptive. You know, when when Goodrich had been passed in like the early 2000s, 2003, the majority of this, the country was f- was firmly against, I think, uh, in a, uh, uh, marriage equality, gay marriage in particular. They were firmly against it. And then around the time these decisions, these Supreme Court decisions started coming out in 2013, it was like 30-something percent, Right it's been a long haul it's been a it's been a long haul but around you know 2013 ish to 2015 they decided well why should we care about who people want to marry most people most normal people how do we why would we care and the it's now like upwards of of 60 who say that um you know that this should, you know, that that gay marriage should be the law of the land. So the trend line's pointing there. I don't know why Republicans would want to do it. I think maybe to shore up a reliable voting base with the evangelicals. But it seems like, you know, it's one of those things. You 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 see the results, the election results in the uh in the midterms. They didn't win the House by as much as they should have. They didn't win the Senate, even though they probably should have. And I think a lot of it has to do with this, you know, this these sort of decisions. I think a lot of people are socially are 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 Going in the opposite direction of, of opposing the, this, this kind of stuff. And so, you know, it makes sense for those 12 Republican senators, but frankly, it should have been 100 to nothing. Should have been 100 to nothing. I don't know why it wasn't. I don't even know why a law like this is even necessary in the first place, right? But it is. But it is necessary. It's not only necessary, it needs to be even broader in scope than it is right now. It's an unfortunate reality that we're still talking about it. You figure after 2015 it'd be settled. And for a lot of people, it is settled, you know, um, Trump famously. I mean, he had Mike Pence as his VP, and he wasn't necessarily a friend to the LGBTQ community, but he did recognize gay marriage. So I don't think he cares either way, but they're they're at least going to get presidential nominees and candidates that are going to that if they want to win a national election are not going to be against it. So the law is important. It it shouldn't be necessary. All right, I got to take a break. We'll be right back. From New Bedford, can you name one Republican in Congress who you respect, said in the app chat message? Um, I cannot. I'm sorry. Other Republicans that I know that are in Congress, I can't. um, The list of Democrats is pretty short, too, to be fair. But one of the Republicans I do respect is Charlie Baker. He's not in Congress, but I do respect him. And if he were to go to Congress, I'd respect him. Um... You know, there are Republicans here in Massachusetts that I do in Congress. Not so much. Frankly, the list of Democrats that I respect in Congress isn't all that great. Isn't all that long either. Um, so. That's just kind of where I'm at, especially with Congress. So, uh, no, there there isn't a Republican I can think of in Congress that I that I respect. If I do think of it, I'll I'll let you know uh, tomorrow what I'll be in with uh, Chris McCarthy. And we're going to have Robert Bromley and uh and we're going to have